Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Never mind whatever their outward features are, they're just a beautiful person. And, you know, for the wives, you should know as, as you know, the longer you're married, you know, the someone you're married over time, hopefully we love the person. We don't just love the features or the outward things, but we love the person. And God says for a woman that, to, that you want to work on this sort of beauty. You don't want to just spend all your time figuring out the way to get your hair right and, and what's the best shade of paint for your face. And he said, but take care of that inner beauty because that matters to God. How do you see beauty? In today's message from Pastor Bill, he challenges you to look deeper into what makes a person beautiful. God looks at the heart. He looks not to what is seen on the outside, but to what is unseen on the inside. Pastor Bill encourages you to do the same. What is beautiful is a heart that is after God's. Is a person kind, considerate of others, and generous? Do they have the fruit of the Spirit evidence within their lives? This is the kind of beauty to look and seek after. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. So he says, it's, that's a command. That, that language right there, do not defraud one another in this way. It's a command. So don't defraud one another. Then he gives the exception, right? Uh, except with consent for a period of time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So I don't know how many couples practice this, you know, but he says, you know, the, the one, if you guys agree that, hey, let's take the next week and fast and pray and, you know, and, and we're going to abstain even from physical intimacy for the next week while we fast and pray about some things. And you guys have to both agree. So it can't be like one person saying, I want to fast and pray this week. And the other spouse like, nah, we can fast and pray, but we're not, we're not abstaining from everything. You know, it's got to be something you agree upon. Because it's not your body, it's, it's, you guys are sharing it, so it's got to be agreed upon with consent for a set period of time. So it's not just, in, you know, it's not just going on and on and on, it's a set time. And then it says, and then come back together once again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, you need to pay attention to that. Whenever God warned you specifically that Satan will tempt you, God never warns us for nothing. That's not there just as a general, you know, just in case. God said, no, no, if you don't do this, Satan will come in and tempt you. If, if in the marital relationship, you're not loving one another, being affectionate, meeting one another's physical needs, God said that will leave a door open for the enemy to come in and tempt. Now, with that, if God is warning, God is saying, you know, it's one way of safeguarding the marriage, one way of saying, I, I want the enemy out of my marriage. God said, well, one way you keep him out is you take care of this aspect of the marriage, the romantic, you know, physical, intimate side of the marriage relationship. Now, this has to be said, too. There are marriage relationships where people can't actually have sexual relations. Now, that doesn't mean that they still, they still can't be intimate and affectionate to one another. There are scenarios, I know of marriages where one person is actually the caretaker. They're, they're, they're taking care of their spouse who has had medical challenges or whatever, and they're not able to, to engage in these things that's okay. They're, they're still in affection and love. It may even be in deeper ways that they're dying to themselves and showing affection and showing love. So Paul will say in a little bit, I say this not as a, a command. It's a concession, not as a commandment. And I think it leaves that door open because God commands us to do things. If God commands you to do it, it means that you need to do it. 
But he leaves the door open at the end because there are people that they're not able, they're not capable and would hate for someone to be under condemnation in that case. And so there are people that have knowingly married someone that was, I know someone that's paralyzed from the chest down and that's just not a part of the marriage. They were young and they went in full, you know, fully aware and made that commitment and sacrifice. So um, there's room for that here. Um, But God is also warning and saying, look, for every other, for all the normal cases, um, God says, don't leave a door open for the enemy, right? Don't, don't leave your husband or wife out there unloved, uncovered, uncared for. That's leaving a door open for the enemy. It won't make it okay if somebody goes out and is seduced by the enemy, right? If, if someone goes out and sins, it'll always be their fault. They chose to sin. But this is where couples and marriages, you know, we can set each other up for failure, um, you can be very unloving and, and not take care of your, your spouse and leave them open to the enemy in that way. Now, they fall. That's on them. They're wrong before God and they have to deal with that. But now you are wrong, too, for not doing your part within the marital relationship. Both of y'all are wrong. So we want to cover our marriages, protect them, keep them. And God here says, hey, this is one of the ways in which you cover your marriage. So, so I do all encourage all the married couples to consider how you're doing in this arena, in this area. I do encourage couples that this is a conversation you should have. Um, this is some of the uncomfortable things. But if you're a wife, you need to know. Like You, you should ask your husband, are your needs met in this area or not? Some of you don't want to ask because you already know they're not met. You know, um, and, and husbands need to ask the same thing. You know, that, you know, are your needs met in this area? If they're not met, how could they be met? You know, we want to meet each other's needs in this way. Those are uncomfortable conversations, but it'd be better to have them on the good side of marriage than after it's dissolved and broke up. So... Those are conversations that if you have never had, you are unclear. I'm encouraging you when you go home after church today and the kids are gone, that y'all sit down and have a talk. You know, how, how are we doing here? You good? You good? You know, maybe everybody's good. You know, maybe not. Maybe maybe somebody's like, nah. <laughs> you know, that's something to work out with one another. All right. We good? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> OK. Verse uh, six, he said, um, but I say this as a concession not as a commandment. Like I said, everybody, because there are some people that they're not capable. So he says this is a concession, not a commandment, uh, but still spoken under the inspiration of Scripture. Verse seven. Now, Paul's given a, an, uh, you know, Paul's speaking on his own behalf. Paul says, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What does Paul mean? Paul says, I wish everybody was like me. Paul is single. And able to serve God without distraction. So Paul says, look, I wish you guys were all single like me, able to just go for it, serve God with no hesitation. But then he says, but everybody has their own gift. So there is a gift of, you know, singleness. There are some people in the body of Christ that they're, they don't have a desire to be married. They're content to be single. They're not stumbled. They're not, they're not burning with passion and lust. They're very content to stay single and to serve God without distraction. I know a few of those people. I know a few people that are just, I'm like, and I don't understand it. So I'm like, because I don't have that gift. So I'm like, you, you know, you, you look at me, you, you know, I'm like, I can hook you up. Know, they, they're they very content. They're like, no, nah, I think I'm just going, I'm good. Praise the Lord for you, you know. Um, so how do you know if you have that gift? You're just content to be single. You're fine. No problem. No, you know, you're not you're not stumbling. You're not looking at everybody. Raise your hand when they said single. You didn't go, you know, you were looking for a prospect. You know, you might be you might have the gift. You might be all right. So 
if you don't, though, and this is what was happening back here, there were some extremes going on. So what typically what happens many times is, you know, something is shown as wrong. People go the whole other pendulum. So it's wrong to have sexual sin within. OK, so this holy it's holier to just not have sex at all, even in the marriage. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. In the marriage, don't do that. And he cleared, cleared that up. It's not it's not better. You know, it's not a it's not a, a holier thing to sex is not bad in its proper context. And that's what Paul is laying out for them here. And when he says, I wish all men were just like me, he said, I wish. But he recognizes as soon as he said that, he said, but everybody has their own gift, one in this manner and another in that. Um, there's another verse Paul said it's in first Timothy chapter four, verses one through three. As Paul was speaking about false teachers and some of the things that would be teaching in the last days. He said one of the things that they would do, false teachers would forbid people to marry. Right. That's not a Christian doctrine or teaching. We don't forbid marriage or discourage marriage. Uh, we, I encourage marriage unless you're called to be single. I encourage you to be married in a godly way. So um, what you know, I just will answer for you guys, you know, whenever you find a, a group that uh, forbids marriage or acts as though marriage is unspiritual, that it'd be more spiritual to be single. Um, you suppress a very natural thing and then some very unnatural things result, i.e. the Catholic Church. The priests can't be married. And the nuns can't be married. But that's not natural. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not how God made them. They don't have all those people don't have that gift. So what ends up happening? Perverse things. Women, they found convents where those women were having sex with somebody, getting pregnant, having babies and, and burying them. That happens. That's a, that's 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 a, those are facts. You can go read up on it. The priests are doing illicit things now instead of they don't have women. They're doing it with men and with children. That happens. How how come so many priests, how come so many people in that belief are working out in this way because they've confined themselves in an unbiblical way? So we don't want to do that either. That's not that's not holier. If you're single and you have feel called to be married, you need to start praying that the Lord would prepare you to be a good husband or wife, whichever one you would be. And then God would open your eyes and show you, you know, uh, he would bring to you or lead you to uh, the person that you should have. So. So anyway, moving on. So Paul recognizes it's a gift that one person has or, or you may have or you may not. Verse eight. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So Paul says again to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good if they remain even as I am. This is now this is the other context I should give. When Paul is speaking these things, the church is under really, really serious persecution where one of the things that was a normal thing that they would do is to break a man. They would take his wife and kids before him, threaten to kill them, threaten to do things to them, burn them. And many times that was just too much. And a, a person would break, you know, under the, the, you know, what was happening to my wife and my kids. And so Paul said, you know, because of the time in which we're living, you know, it, it would be better for some if they didn't. But once again, he said, I, it's not a command. You know, he said to the unmarried, to the widow, those that have lost their spouse, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But then he says in verse nine, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So he says, look, if, if you're unmarried and, you know, some people have one marriage and maybe their spouse dies late enough in life where they're like, I don't want to remarry. You know, I'm content to, you know, kind of go on the rest of my life single. I have my marriage. I'm not I don't I'm not burning with passion. You know, I'm, I'm OK. Um, then that's okay. Um, but there are people that maybe spouse passed away, right? 
the, the goal is that people wouldn't feel under condemnation for this. I still desire this sort of relationship. Okay, it's okay, right? There's no condemnation in that. Um, and you shouldn't try to suppress it in, in, in the name of being spiritual um, and then end up in sin. So he says, you know, it, it's better, but if they can't, you know, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, once again, burning with passion, it's, it's a passion God gave us. And if somebody is just, you know, that's a strong desire, then they should be married. They should get married. They shouldn't, con- they shouldn't fornicate and sin against God, but they should pursue marriage. Now, this has to be said too. Do we pursue marriage just to meet our sexual needs? No, that, that would be wrong, right? It's not, this is not the only reason. You know, someone shouldn't say, well, I'm, I'm struggling with lust and, you know, I'm going to get married <laughs> and that's going to fix it. That won't fix it. So if you're struggling with lust and perversity, you will get married and still be lusted and perverse. You need to deal with that separate. You want to deal with that before you get involved with somebody. So um, that's not going to solve that. But if it's a desire, a, a pure desire, a desire to have a wife or a husband, then God says, you know, you should better to marry than to just burn with passion. So once again, the American dream tells our young people, you know, you should go to school, you know, go to college, you know, finish your four year degree, then get your next degree, then get a job then get an area degree, then get your house, then get your car, then get married. And if I can tell you how much sin happens while people are trying to fulfill that dream. So what I tell young folks is, you know, at whatever point you're at the age where marriage is on your heart, sexual desire is is is, is happening. You need to pray. Um, and maybe you get married young and you guys still go to school and still go to work and build your lives together. Nothing wrong with that. You know, but I, I hate that that's kind of pushed upon our young people. And so what ends up happening is that their their parents won't okay. You just too, too, you don't you don't have enough money yet, boy. You can't get married, you can't take care of a family, blah, 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 blah. And so this guy is like, Well, man, I want to do right before God. I want to get married now, but he's being told he can't. Parents won't give their blessing, kids end up in sin. And it's some parents that believe in the American dream more than they believe in their Bibles that are to blame many times. Uh, I did high school ministry for many years, and I had kids that were right with the Lord, serving God, you know, out of high school. And they were like, man, I feel called to get married now. But they, the parents wouldn't give them a blessing on it. And so, you know, they got in the way and it was constant, you know, coming against the relationships and they were not sinful. And I've seen people blow it and mess up and try to get back up and struggle. And, and I'm like, man, you should just let them get married. You know, let them, you know, let them put their lives together. So that's me. That's how I feel about it. You know, I, I don't discourage young marriage uh, if it's in the Lord. I don't discourage old marriage if it's in the Lord either. Um, but any marriage that's not in the Lord, which we talk about more next week, um, we would definitely discourage. So, again, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10. Now he kind of switches groups. Uh, he says, now to the married. So now he's speaking to the married. I command yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. So. Very clear right there. He says, you know, I'm not me. He said, the Lord would tell a wife, don't depart from your husband. We live in a culture right now. Um, I, I did for a lot of time. I would I do marriage counseling and we talked to people that had done secular counseling, had even done some. I don't know. There's some version of Christian counseling that are not very Christian. They're not biblical. And, and you sit down with them and they've been told all the wrong things. I've sat down with people that came from Christian counseling where they were told that, you know, God wants you to be happy. And if you're unhappy, it's OK to leave. I'm like, really? I, I wish I, I would verse. Tell them, tell them to please give you the verses to support that. 
I want to see the verse that says God wants you to be happy, that that's that's the will of God, you know, that happiness above everything. It's not in there. Right. Anybody that's married, succeeding in marriage, you don't succeed in marriage by pursuing your own happiness. You succeed in marriage by worshiping God, living for him and when necessary, dying to yourself to glorify him. That's how you succeed in marriage. Marriage is two people saying, I love God more. And if need be, I'll die to myself here to to um, to give way to my spouse. Uh, I'm going to give room for God to work. Um, there's there is no verse in the Bible that would encourage anything less. So and I want to go over some of the specific ones. So right here, he says the wife is not to leave her husband. The Bible gives, you know, cause for divorce. Everybody knows what that is. What is the cause? What is the one cause that God says he'll permit divorce in this case? Sexual morality. Right. And that's in Matthew 19, three through nine. Notice this. He says, because of the hardness of your hearts. So it's not even that when someone has been unfaithful, God wants you to get a divorce. If you could forgive, uh, that would glorify God if you would forgive and work it out. But if you can't, he said, God permits it because some of y'all hearts are so hard that you'll never let that go. You'll never forgive. Y'all will live in war. You beat them, put a knife through them. So then in that case, you know, we'll permit a divorce. But it's not the will of God. Matthew, I mean, Malachi, God said he hates divorce. And you got to consider that every married person that talks divorce or considers divorce, consider that God says explicitly in Malachi, I hate it. Why am I considering? Why would I ever consider something that God says I hate? I hate that. I hate when people. It, why? Because it breaks up the picture of Christ in the church. In Ephesians 5, it says the, the bride represents the church and the husband represents Christ. When does Christ ever leave the church? When does the church and Christ ever break up? They don't. So when marriages break up, it jacks up the picture. Right. Messes up the picture. When a, so when we go into that. So so a wife is not to leave her husband um, for all the wives here. Write down first Peter chapter three, verses one through six. He gives very specific commands in first Peter three, one through six for a wife, a particular wife, a wife who has a husband that is not obeying the word. If you're a wife and you got a husband that's not doing right by God, he's not obeying the word, either because he's not a believer or he's a believer that's that's not doing right. What's a wife to do in that case? Most people, most the knee jerk response for most women, women are more vocal than men usually. And with most women, if your man is not doing right, the knee jerk is going to be to tell him about it. He need to hear it from you every day till he get it. But all you got to do is do that for a while to realize that your words are not as powerful as you thought. God gives a very different instruction to the wife. First Peter chapter three, verses one through six. Put y'all stones down. I love you women. Listen. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And it says that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. And you want to get this next phrase. They may be one without a word, without a word. Nothing you have to say without a word from um, from. I'm sorry. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so the wife in that case is let her conduct speak. Let her light shine. Just live it out in front of him. It goes on to say, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, not when they observe you yelling, screaming and fussing and cussing and throwing things and hitting them. It says when they observe your chaste, your under control conduct accompanied by the fear of God, that's going, God, I'm going to work in that. It says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, a pair, um, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel. Right. God telling women, women are beautiful. 
And so because they're beautiful, they take great preparations in their beauty and women do their hair and paint their face and put on their jewels and get their outfits together. He says, don't let your adornment be merely outward. He isn't saying be ugly and, you know, just take care of the inside. He's saying just some women are only pretty on the outside and they put all the attention into the outward beauty. And so outwardly, they're very attractive, pretty. But just let them talk for a little while. And I've known over my life also women that they were beautiful to behold, but disgusting to endure. They weren't beautiful on the inside and just talk long enough. And it's like, man, you were great until you started talking, you know, and to your true heart was revealed. So, so Christian women shouldn't be that way. God's telling the Christian wife, don't let your adornment be just outward. Right. He's not saying you can't take care of yourself, make yourself beautiful. That's OK. But don't let it be just that. That's shallow. Right. That's fading anyway at best. And so he says, but rather let it be verse four, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which are precious in the sight of God. He says there's an incorruptible beauty. There's a beauty that's fading. You take the most beautiful woman in the world and let the years go by. It's fading. It can't stay the same. You can't be as beautiful at 70 as you were at 30 outwardly. But there's a there's a beauty that does not fade. Uh, there's a beauty that can grow over time. And it's the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which God said, that's very precious in my sight. And there are women that you'll meet and they're just a beautiful person. It's just who they are. Never mind whatever their outward features are. They're just a beautiful person. And you know, for the wives, you should know as, as, you know, the longer you're married, you know, the someone you're married over time, hopefully we love the person. We don't just love the features or the outward things, but we love the person. And God says for a woman that to, 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 you want to work on this sort of beauty. You don't want to just spend all your time figuring out the way to get your hair right and, and what's the best shade of paint for your face. And he said, but take care of that inner beauty because that matters to God. It's the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which are very precious in the sight of God. He gives an example for in this manner, the form in former times, holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their husbands. Sarah's the example as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are. If you do good and are not afraid with any terror and and I'll come to the husbands in a minute. So he stopped here for the wife. So to the wives, God says, hey. You want to work on the inner beauty. If your husband's not doing right, don't get him like this. Right. Give him to the Lord. If I could testify and my wife isn't here, so I'm going to use her. I would say I can say about my wife that my wife is a submissive woman in the sense of she submits to me as a husband. And submission is, is important about submission. Submission only really matters when someone wants you to do something you don't want to do. When someone is su- suggesting a direction that you disagree with. That's when it's not submitting. If I say, if my wife wants to do something, I say, hey, we should do that. Okay, I'll submit to you. <laughs> you my man, you know. That's not really submission. That's just, we just walk in an agreement. Submission only comes into play when someone is requiring, asking, giving a, something that you don't really want to do, but you submit. I acquiesce. Come under. And there have been times in my marriage where because of her willingness to submit, the sense of pressure on me to be sure that I'm hearing from God is greater. If she would fight me, rather than spend my energy seeking God for clarity, I'd be fighting with her because you're challenging my authority. That's what would end up happening. So now we're at war instead of, but because she's just like, babe, whatever you end up saying, I'm gonna just do it. 
And it's like, well, then, shoot, that better be right. And I'll take extra weeks. If it takes weeks, I'm like, we're not going to, I'm going I'm to give a word until I get a word. And I'm a, I'll go seek God. I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll do whatever. Because she's saying, whatever you say, whatever you say. That made, that's made me over the years. It's helped me. It's made me a better man, a better Christian, a better leader to have a wife that will submit. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and location information. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 1 Corinthians, accountability and helping other believers strive for purity and commitment to God are topics that come to the surface. Although these things aren't always fun or easy, they're an incredible blessing to have in your life and in your church. So look to be involved and accountable wherever you're plugged in with other believers. If you notice that this ministry has been a blessing, even when it's convicted your heart in certain ways, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the messages go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. We ask that you pray for ears to be open, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Bill again for another edition of A Transforming Word.